Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm delighted to say I'm here with Herman Arnold. He is a, an entrepreneur and the founder of Umantis, an HR software uh, provider, uh, which is now part of the, the Hof Group. He's joining us from Switzerland near Zurich. Uh, he has an incredibly uh, incredible story to tell uh, regarding how he's organized uh, the companies he's been involved with. So uh, I can't wait to get into this. Herman, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. So I uh, came across your story through Corporate Rebels, who are an awesome mm. out, outfit out of Holland. And I, I saw their write-up of you and they explained how you you founded um, this this company, Umantis, in 2001 with some very interesting uh, approaches to management and leadership. Um, and I wonder if we you could fill us in on, on a bit of the backstory that, that led up to you founding Umantis uh, and uh, how you came to have some of the ideas that you do uh, around leadership and management. Yeah, well, um, we came up at West, we were... The whole story started more or less when we were students and we wanted to bring more entrepreneurship to universities, especially to our alma mater, where they mainly were bankers and consultants back then. And we started a forum called Start, still existing now, one of the biggest student-led entrepreneurship conferences in Europe. Right. And um, out of that, when we ourselves were graduating, we said, okay, we have to do something entrepreneurial. And we started B2B. That's now one of the leading private investor networks for startups, because we wanted to bring in, um, we wanted to bring people together. Brains to Ventures is for brains, B2B is for brains to ventures. That means bringing brains to ventures. That means investors, co-founders, and early entrepreneurs. And we've, we built up a, a technology platform for profiling and matching people. Yeah. And then we found out the investment business and early um, finding co-founders is not something that you could do that much on an internet platform, at least back that base. Probably nowadays you would do a Twitter for co-founders and perhaps it would work. I don't know. But back then we found out this doesn't work and it truly doesn't pay our salaries um, for the time being. And then we had to pivot and we had this uh, internet technology um, platform that a lot of our corporate uh, partners were totally interested in. They said, wow, that's so cool. You know about the people, what competences they have, how they can develop, where they can be best performing. And also for recruiting, it would be easy, um, really nice to have such technology. And that's how we started Umantis, more or less out of the necessity to earn money. Okay. We started... Um, we started providing software as a service back then. It was called differently. It was called application service providing to um, companies to do recruiting, talent management, performance management, people development. And it was for me, it was a a very natural pivot because for me, it was always about people and how to empower people to do the best they can. And obviously, entrepreneurship is one topic, mm. but in large organizations, to unleash the potential of people. Um, was something that was always quite close to my DNA. And therefore, that was how we then started um, Humantis. We split the team. Um, some people were more taking care of the business angel business. And we were, I personally and some of my co-founders, but then going into the software. 
and okay. trying to transform companies to allow people to participate more. Right. Okay. Um, and that and that that was part of what Umantis offered, or was that just the philosophy you applied to the the company behind Umantis? Well, at the beginning, to be honest, it was more that we were um, providing some software tools for companies. Yeah. Um, but we always had the philosophy of making things e easy and user centric. Yeah, that okay. it was always in, and that was the only chance how we could win against incumbents like mm. SAP and others. Um, because we said, well, at the end, it's about the user. Yeah, and very soon we came also in our market offering to the claim employees run company. Uh, our right. our understanding that it's all the employees that run the companies and not mm. only the top management. Obviously, yeah. top management are also employees. That means yeah. everyone, yeah? Every person runs the company in his or her way, yeah? And that was the philosophy. And we, we, I think we came a long way into this, also helping companies to make such things moving at least at least in the right direction and then when when we were quite successful we had a lot of also transformational projects where we came in with software because companies understood if i want to integrate people more into my processes yeah, and and have them taking over more responsibility then um it's necessary not only to change organization and processes, but also the infrastructure. Yeah? You need software yeah. to enable that. Yeah? When you compare it with the internet, yeah? before the internet was born, you had no other chance than to book your holidays via travel agency, mm -hmm. because it was the only channel. Yeah. And that was how our also companies are organized, because when you didn't have the internet and communication platforms, you had to have these layers to aggregate information up and to distribute decisions down. Yeah? yeah. And then suddenly internet came and you could now book as a consumer your own flights, your own hotels that was not imaginable before. And it was the same philosophy we applied for companies. Yeah. That means the moment you a CEO can directly communicate to all the employees. Mm. And also you have tools how you can aggregate all the ideas of the employees and also uh, aggregate this crowd wisdom. Um, then you can suddenly organize your company in a different way and allow people to take over more responsibility. And it's not only about allowing people to take more over responsibility, it's also necessity that people take over more responsibility because things started to move faster. Yeah? And uh, the old way how you did business was not fast enough. And um, especially those companies that had the challenges in the market from startups, they were quite aware that they have to change internally and then they use our technology, but also our competencies to drive such transformation processes. And I was quite proud that we were part of, for example, a Daimler that did a big um, leadership initiative around more or less those principles that we were propagating and we were then chosen as the platform to provide this change on a technological basis and also to work together with them how this should look like. And so 
I think we, we we went with the journey and also during the time when we first were saying employees run companies, obviously it's quite radical. Yeah. Yeah. And um, when you go then more into mainstream, we came more to the saying more people taking more responsibility. And that is something that you hear everyone, yeah. Everyone says, I should have more responsibility. I should have more power to decide what I think is right. And mm-hmm. on the other side, also all line managers I'm talking with, they say, well, people don't take too much responsibility. Yes. Obviously the, the problem is then in the detail because there are different um, perceptions what that would mean. Yeah. But overall, that was then the, the um, message we was quite resonating also with mainstream development that helped us to have a unique positioning. Totally, We were not those people that were aligning companies and making everyone execute your strategy. We were the, com- the people that said, okay, we think your strategy evolves within your organization and sometimes at very different places. You have to have tools and processes in place and also a culture that allows for that and that you can thrive on that. And that means that was more than how we were also positioned. And therefore, I think we could contribute to some companies changing a little bit in the, re- in the right direction. <laughs> Great. Um, that was very humbly put. I was going to ask you, so, and we'll come on to how you run uh, Umantis, but um, mm-hmm. Daimler, so that's a, that is a name that a lot of people recognize. And, and yeah. I, I'm assuming when I think of a company like Daimler, not that I've ever worked with them, that uh, yeah, rather traditional, one expects. So what were some of the things that you saw change within Daimler as a result of them working with you? Well, different things. Uh, one thing that I always was preaching is that no organization is just a monolith. Yeah? And because this, especially this large organization that have a lot of feather organizations, yeah? this, mm. this way where people say, well, we shouldn't do it this way, but it's the only way how it works. Yeah? In German, it's called the Kleine Dienstweg, yeah? some workarounds, organizational okay. to make things happen. And in this shadow, there's a lot of innovation already happening in this large organization. That means mm. there are, for example, line managers, when they recruit people, they involve the team, yeah, from defining who is needed to writing a job ads in the recruiting process. So then the decision is done also collectively. Yeah, you have probation days where people, the, the candidates then work in the team and then the team gives feedback. Yeah? And from the outside, it looks still the same. Yeah, the line manager requested the budget, requested a job in a job ad, decided whom to hire. Right. But internally, it works yeah. totally different. And the interesting point is then that means the future is already there in this little team. But because mm-hmm. it is not the corporate process, nobody sees it. And this one line manager thinks, okay, I do it this way, but everyone does it differently. That means there's a, then a silent, at least minority, that's doing business differently, but it's not recognized because it's not shown. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you take over a new leadership role in such a company, you think, okay, it's done as it's done. Yeah. I'm the chef now. I have to, the boss, I have to decide everything. And you don't see the other success models because they are in the shadow. And what we were doing is to bring those examples into the light. 
as yeah. as examples how it can also work and to to also provide the tools that you can that you are supported in that because if I as a line manager want to involve my team and probably distribute it into a decision process it's quite difficult but if I have a software that allows for it yeah even though it's not the corporate process yet at yeah. least you you are supported in your process doing it easier and better yeah mm-hmm. that was that was something where I think where we could help to bring those examples to more visibility and therefore also to more adaption within the company. Right. It's always these things when, when things change disruptively, first it's totally under the surface, but a lot of happening. And then suddenly it takes really off. And we were probably helping in this phase to take off and also providing them the, the infrastructure to make it happen because you could not build an Airbnb without technology or an booking.com without technology. That was what we were providing and how we understood ourselves. But often we were trying to sell um, Airbnb to travel agencies. And that's obviously a hard sell sometimes. <laughs> it means sometimes we were, we were a Trojan horse where people decided for Umantis because it was easy and looked nice. And they hoped for gains in efficiency. And with time, they realized it's more. Yeah, and that it it might threaten the roles of certain managers, right? Totally, but that's 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 happening anyhow. When you look mm. at how many middle managers got um, cut off, the, the hierarchies become flatter in the most hierarchic companies. They get flatter because that middle managers are intermediaries, yeah, like the mm. travel agencies. Mm. And the moment you allow more direct communication and, more, and you have more platforms, you'll need less intermediaries. Yeah? Right. A lot of, lot of the work, that's how I look at it, a lot of the work that we say a normal line manager had to do earlier days is then covered by the team. Yeah? Yeah. That means they take over those things. For example, providing feedback to each other, helping each other to become better at what they're doing and so on. That can be it can be done nowadays with more empowered people easier and you don't need that many managers. And just one example that I really like because it was also learned in our company, but I've seen it then in a lot of others. When we had um, people that were stepping back because they probably weren't elected, we were electing leaders, we will probably talk about it. But when they were, when they were not elected and were stepping down, then we were. I was always asking, "What do you do to help those people?" Yeah, and I came to the conclusion, the hard way. It's really a, it was a tough experience. That the only way to catch people is from below. You cannot catch someone from from above. Right. If someone is falling, the people in the team have to catch this person and help this person get on the feet and you cannot do it from above yeah? mm. and, and there are a lot of things that you normally think that is the traditional work of a line manager that I found out is better done by a team obviously if it works and so on and I, I don't propagate everything has to be totally flat the opposite it was also a misunderstanding from also from my side at the beginning that I thought the future of companies will be totally flat, more or less no hierarchies. And I have now a very different um, 
perception of the future. The future will be quite hierarchical. But a lot of little pyramids. That means when you have now one big pyramid where every mm. everything is at the CEO, and then it trickles down and gets aggregated up, you will have very, very small little pyramids that are connected with each other. Yeah. And each of these pyramids has a different leader, depending on the task at hand, depending on the team, depending on other priorities. Yeah? And then obviously you can have different leadership styles in each of these pyramids, but you, we need not less leadership, we need more leadership from more people. Yeah. Right. And when you look at this this way, then we are not we are really lacking good leadership. Yeah. And that's also yeah. one of the big mistakes we did, and where we also probably directed at least the German market when we're starting, we're starting in a little bit in a different way or in the wrong way. But this idea we have to make things flat, that you then have teams where everyone can say no. And nobody can say yes. Yeah? And then it okay. becomes very, very inefficient. And yeah, that was something that, for example, that I've learned um, at the hardware. But overall, there are much more things that the team can do and should do. And if they do it right, we'll even do it better than if it's just the, the boss. Right. Interesting. And why, do you, and why do you think it is that teams can do things better than just the boss? Yeah, let's stay with this very simple example of of um, of recruiting. Yeah? Nowadays, especially in in jobs that are difficult to fill, yeah, what we do as normal companies is we still do post and pray. Yeah, we post a job ad and pray that someone applies. Yeah, and then we also pray that our team distributes these job ads in their social networks, and they don't. Yeah. The moment you said, okay, we start the process, we look at what job we want, what person we want to hire with competences and what tasks, then you start first changing the, the task in the team a little bit because people say, yeah, I could do that and I want to do that, but I would like this new person doing that and that, and you reshuffle. And then you write the job ad in your own words. Yeah. And then on this job ad, it's not written, we, Daimler, search for a new project manager, but there's written, we, the team you will work together in the future, we yeah. are searching for you. And then you have the pictures of the team and certain certain um, explanations of what they're doing. And then it becomes so much more personal. Yeah. And then the moment we changed that, we didn't have to tell people, please distribute that in your social networks. They were doing it because they felt responsible for filling this job. Yeah. And you have to say from A to C. Yeah? That means they also did the decision whom to hire. Yeah. Obviously, together with the alignment and together with HR, but it's a joint decision. And it's not just we hear you and then we decide whatever we think. It was more or less the team decides, supported and coached by others. Yeah. But it's the team's decision because they ultimately decide if this person is successful or not. Yeah. Okay. And then also helping in the probation period and even discussing salaries. Yeah. We also delegated that to the team. And that was quite successful. The, the rate of people coming through recommendations skyrocketed through such this approach, obviously. That means recruiting, out of my perspective, 
in a lot of areas is done better by the team than just by the line manager and HR, like booking your flights. Or another example is performance reviews. Yeah. We all know there are some people in the team, they're very good shining towards upside. Yeah, and not the good delivering things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) We know what we're talking about. Yeah, but in a team, you cannot hide that. Yeah, it means if you have a good, good process how you assess performance, then the team will take much better care of of such things. And it was Mm. also something that I learned when we were discussing our bonus system. And we were in this very classic way, you define goals and then you assess them and then you get a bonus. And it was all individual. And then we changed it for the whole company. But in the sales team, we still thought, okay, sales works like that. And then the sales team itself came up and said themselves, they come up and say, we want to also to do a team bonus and team commission. Yeah, because the very successful people will get less and then they will carry the weight of the others that are not very successful. Funnily enough, what happened, and I now understand it, the moment you have an individual bonus, yeah, and I'm performing well and others don't perform well, I'm happy. Yeah. I'm even shining better. I'm brighter yeah. and I get more mm. commission. Wow, mm. cool. I don't care if someone is, doesn't do a good job because I don't matter. And I, I don't mind. It's even better somehow, uh, relative. Mm. And the moment you change that to a team, Commission and team bonus. Everyone is in the team. Not everyone gets the absolute same amount, but everyone gets relatively the same amount. Then suddenly, if I'm a high performer and I have someone in the team who doesn't perform, I start saying, hey, guy, we expect more. Mm. And then it's not once a year I give a bonus and give a feedback, but it's much more immediate because those who carry the weight and do the performance would expect also from the others. Yeah. It means you have a totally different way of performance management directly because they all knit together. And another very good advantage of this system was you can dif- distribute the work so much better because there were probably some people that are very good at presentation, some people that were very good at calling people and so on. Mm. And before, as everyone was individually, um, commission, everyone had to do everything because right. it's either my deal or I have to share with someone else. Yeah? Mm. The moment everyone is in the same boat, you can you can really take the strengths of every person and put it in the place where this person adds the most value. Yeah? And it was it was quite a success. And that is an example because you were asking me where I think the team does a better performance management than. Um, the classic way where the leader decides who does the good performance and bad performance. And there's so many other things. And one example I also like to to tell is, um, well, I studied strategy and organization at the University of St. Gallen that has a quite a good reputation of being a good university. Mm. I studied strategy. I was the CEO and co-founder of the company. It means my duty totally is strategy. I'm not in the operative business. I see everything. I see the market. I have a lot of exposure. I'm smart and so on. I do the strategy. And when we started with software, we were doing more or less individual projects. We had 
common source code, but for every customer, we customized it. And we had a lot okay. of different versions of our software. And I was intellectually aware that one day we would have to change to a product mm. approach. Yeah? But you, we did so much money with this individual project, and we were anyhow totally overstretched with doing this, that I never found the right time to change the approach. And then there was more or less a little rebellion in our team, the consultants that were exposed to the customers that yeah. were feeling, they were feeling and seeing the problems of this approach so much better than I, yeah? Because yeah. I didn't feel it. They felt it every yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. The bugs that don't get fixed and so on. They then um, rented an external meeting room, prepared a presentation, invited me there. And then they were doing a show and saying, hey, that's how we look at the business. That is what's going on in the moment. And if we don't change immediately to product approach, we don't believe in the future of the company anymore and we will leave. And obviously one, one side was wow. And the other side was, I was really thankful yeah, because they could also have left. Yeah, that's mm. what normally happens. The best yeah. people leave when the strategy doesn't work anymore. And then only when you have left all the good peoples, then you probably change the strategy because you probably have changed the leader then. Yeah. And this way, the people were taking the strategy in their hands and forcing me to change the strategy. Yeah. This change almost killed us, yeah? Because when you change from project to product, you have different price points, you have to invest in advance, you get not that much money from the customers. You have a standard product where you cannot please every customer and so on. A lot of issues. But the team was totally behind it because they said they want to have it. Yeah. yeah? And I could become the standard bureau of changing to that. But strategy was driven by the team. And that's what we see often that people out in the market with exposure to customers, to competitors, but what society thinks, feel the problems so much earlier than up the line, yeah? because yeah. it has to burn on the first line, then it goes up to the next, but that's not burning there. And then it has yeah. to go up several times to the next level till they understand, okay, that's now a burning issue. And then it goes up the next line and the same thing happens. He went up all the line of command till on the top, you make a strategic decision and then you try to convince everyone of doing that already too late. And the problems mm. are so much bigger and it's so much more difficult to change. Therefore, I now understand that the right strategy can arise from everywhere in the company. But you have to make sure that you have a, a way that it comes, that it surfaces very early, that all those people that are thinking of, like this um, emperor's clothes, yeah? Yeah. That only needs one that says, okay, the emperor doesn't have any clothes. And then I was, yeah, right. Yeah. But before now, nobody dares. And that's what's happening in a lot of companies. Huh? Yeah. And the moment you have such tools that one can scream, the emperor has no clothes, and everyone can hear it and say, yes, that's true. The emperor has no clothes. Then you can, then you can get this silent minority or this hidden minority to the majority and to drive change. And that obviously technology helps a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting way of uh, visualizing that process. Yeah. You've got 
yeah, in the shadows, as you mentioned with Damien, you've got yeah. this silent minority who yeah. understand what needs to happen. And ordinarily, it'd be very difficult to get that message to the top. But you've got yeah. tools that can create a, yeah. a groundswell, I suppose, of support um, that and, can ultimately... And connecting those people because those people think I'm the only one being right. like that. Yeah? And I, I don't feel that others see it the same because they should, I think the emperor doesn't have clothes, but everyone thinks he has very beautiful clothes. Why should I now say something? And that's really difficult then to organize all the, those people to get a momentum for that. Yeah? And if you and if you have somehow good tools, then it just needs one with a little bit of courage. And and you can drive change much faster. Yeah. Yeah. And I, mean, I think that the parallel there would be um, we, we see in politics today, right? We can get, you know, very large movements around figures that haven't had established political careers because they can build huge followings on the internet, right? That they've got the tools yeah. that enable them to connect with followers yeah. and supporters. And yeah. Uh, yeah, we've seen that in the UK a few times in recent history that, yeah. Um, yeah, these social media campaigns become, you know, out of nowhere, seemingly you, you build a big uh, political movement and the same, yeah. I suppose we're talking about in a company, it's now possible. Exactly. And and the and the good thing is you don't have to become then something like Trump to change the system. You can do it on your place with the mm. thing you're doing, and it's just taking those tap topics that are relevant for you and that in your environment, and you can bring them to a decision and then also drive change from from the place you are. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to be the boss necessarily anymore to drive change, but obviously you need then leaders in the top positions to support this change nowadays yeah yeah in the future probably also this will change when you have participatory projects i have seen um uh, quite a few um experiments mainly in, in the democratic area yeah for example barcelona doing a or paris doing providing a certain budget that citizens can decide where it's invested Mm. And I have also seen in company, for example, one entrepreneur who changed the company, um, gave out a credit card to every employee and saying, okay, there's a certain budget and you can use it for whatever you think is the right thing. You don't have to ask anyone and you can self yourself decide how much you take out of it. The only part, point is it's totally transparent. Yeah. Everyone knows how much you took and for what you took it. And just by that, you can you can you can create a lot. It means I think we are in this moment in a in a transformation where we feel and see that the old models of how to run companies don't work anymore. Yeah. And the new models are not fully developed yet. Right. And and I compare it a little bit with the time when humankind thought we should be able to fly. Yeah? Okay. There were always people saying we should be able to fly, yeah, up to Da Vinci. And then at a certain point, the time was right. It means all the materials were there, all the mm. knowledge was there. And people thought now it should be possible to fly. And mm. the majority said, crazy, will never work. Yeah? yeah. But then there were a lot of pioneers everywhere in the world trying to fly. And the crazy thing is, you have to imagine, they were doing experiments of flying and they more or less were sure it will not work. Yeah. 
They were jumping down and they, they knew with high probability it would not work, but they did it to learn. Yeah. And then there were a lot of people and some people even dying on the way. Yeah. And then the moment the Wright brothers got this airplane to fly, then it was not a question if it's possible. It was just a question, how can we make it better? And I think with where we are now, it's more or less the same. That means there are now a lot of pioneers trying to find new ways how we can organize our organizations, how we can manage organizations as companies, also as in society, and trying a lot of things, and most of them fail. Yeah, But they are necessary to learn yeah. and to improve to at the end get to a system that will work for the next 100, 200 years. And I think somewhere there will be a, a William Taylor and a Henry Ford of this new century that will showcase at the World Expo their system and it is much more superior than everything that we have seen. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good prediction, right? That, you know, we've got, yeah, we've got so many of these companies. And of course, the internet and podcasts like this and other channels allow, yeah. you know, organizations across the world experimenting with new ways yeah. of working to connect and inspire each other. Um, yeah. yeah, right now, I suppose we haven't had that that big yet, like you say, like a Ford, there's no kind of iconic figure that's broken through into public consciousness who's set the, yeah. who is the standard bearing saying, this is the way and it and it works in a major way. But yeah, I think it's a pretty good prediction that someone is going to emerge. And probably also for a new world, it probably will not be someone, but probably a network. I don't know. Oh yeah, a but, network or a company. Yeah. But when you look at the, at the history of Henry Ford and William Taylor, they were total crazy guys. Yeah. They were looking at the process and changing it 90,000 times. Yeah. Tiny improvements, tiny improvements. Crazy. Yeah. And at the end, they were able to expose their new factory at the Paris exhibition. And it was so much faster than anyone had, could have imagined. And then it was clear, okay, that seems to be a superior model. And I think at certain points, we already see it. When I, when I think of Boots Org, for example, yeah, you look yeah. corporate rebels. For me, Joseph Block is, is really a good example of a system that just works or Dupont, and uh, not Dupont, but um, Gore. Um, yeah. As a Gore, sorry, Gore, Gore, Gore and Associates, you know, Gore and Associates, Cortex. And so. There are a few companies, older and younger, and organizations that I would say come close to flying. And yeah, perhaps one day, or hope one day, we will see that this will be the dominant model of how to organize. But and then in, um, in companies, this will come faster because those companies that are superior in their organization and can really tap into the potential of all the people in a company, um, they will ultimately be more successful and then force the incumbents to change or to die mm. but we are not yet there i agree yeah most of management is still very much the old way but as everything it starts in the not it's not seen because it's happening everywhere but everyone is 
somehow still a little bit isolated and not feeling this is the maturity. And at a certain point, there will be the tipping point and then it will grow much faster and adapt much faster. But I don't see yet the um, uh, overall management model or however you want to call it, organizational model that covers a lot of those things. But there are, there, there are not a, a lot of tribes, yeah, like holacracy, I think is a, is a mm. good example. Probably a little bit too bureaucratic. Then there's like those things like foods or, or others that have. We had so just many... on the postcards. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. Some, some, some others where you see common themes. Yeah. For example, like what Frederick Lalou calls the advice process. Yeah. The way yeah. how decisions are done there. That I think is a really powerful thing. And we implemented the advice process in our company as a successor to our corporate democracy because electing leaders is still electing leaders yeah you just have leaders on time with all the benefits and problems with it but when you can implement the advice process everyone can be a leader and you don't have to be elected well let's do let's do it let's take those two topics because they're, they're going to be of, of big interest to people so the advice process like lay that out for yeah. us and, and how it works yeah. in uh, umantis yeah well, the, the advice process is how we, we, did a, we did a process when we have seen that with democracy, we come to, to problems when we were growing. We were thinking, okay, what could be the next way how we do this better? And then we had the, an employee assembly, like a citizen's assembly, like Ireland did and so on. And um, we also invited experts as it's needed there. And one of the experts was so happy that he agreed to join us there was Frederick Lelou. Ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were, it was incredible. Was, to get Lelou. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there uh, was also Yitzke Kramer. You probably know her when you're coming out of the Nordics. Mm. She's also a really great person and others. Um, Otto Sharma. And Frederick Lelou, um, although I have read the book, Reinventing Organizations, it didn't stick with me, but he then brought it in a very good way. And we then implemented it, and the rule is more or less like that. If you do it fully consequential, it says every person in an organization can take any decision, any, provided this person asks for advice to experts and asks for advice to all meaningfully affected people. Mm. And advice is advice. Yeah? I don't have to please all people. I don't have to take everything into account. It still stays my decision, but I have asked for advice, what they think, if I want to do this decision, what they would think about it. And then I can decide. I could decide investing hundreds of millions in a certain factory. I could decide to sell the company. A lot of things in, in the total extreme. Yeah? And um, obviously, one reaction is always, wow, people will run amok. And Frederick had a very nice saying, there are, more, there are more cowards in an organization than cowboys. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah, I like and, that. And it's, it's, really, it's really tough. It's, it's more difficult to really get people daring to do decisions in this process than doing crazy decisions. And, but and when, when, we, when we implemented it, we did a, a, a base democratic decision to abandon elections and introduce the advice process instead of it so that everyone could be a leader. Yeah. Um, 
the first example, and I'm so proud of that. Couldn't be better, yeah. Um, and employee, she was exposed to what's going on with COVID much before it was even on my plate. Yeah, uh, yeah. it was already running a little bit amok in Milan, but I, in north of Italy, but I didn't really care about it. And she then came to me and said, well, I think COVID is really an issue. We should close the office and work from home. I was looking at her. I was thinking, yeah, are you crazy? Yeah, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, there's, there's, there's something that we should just, but because I was the proponent of introducing the advice process, mm. I said, I support you doing this process the way it should be. Yeah. And obviously, it's your decision then at the end. And then she was really, she was inviting um, team managers, people taking the advice. <laughs> and then we were already in the half group that was not so progressive back then. She was inviting people at the half group. And then after the meeting, people were asking, why, why, why did she invite to such a meeting those people? What, what is her role? Yeah? She was just a normal employee. There were three. But it was a really cool process, and at the end, she decided we go home to make home office for the wow. whole company. Yeah? Wow, wow, wow. Imagine wow, that. That is something what you normally would say that in the best case, a CEO does this decision. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and not just a normal employee. And we did that, and it was the right thing to do. Yeah. We were much more prepared for all this working from home because we do it, we could do it in a in a Planned process. Everyone was was involved in the decision. Took the decisions. She was standing for it. She was also then driving the process and handling all the problems that came up. It was really good. In the end, I called her the hero of Corona in our company. Okay. She, she did the right thing, and that was for me the perfect example. That means there's somewhere in the organization someone who gets a signal stronger than others, mm. and if this person is then able to act on it instead of just telling someone else who doesn't understand that this is an issue and that we should act on it that's an empowerment mm. yeah imagine, imagine yeah. you're working you're working at the huge company i don't know coca-cola you're a normal employee and one day you decide uh, yeah i mean it's crazy, crazy you know? but that was and, and i was so happy because it was such a good example first of all it it worked out well. Yeah, it's always a risk that it doesn't yeah. work out. Mm. And um, obviously, it was a really good example that we mean it. But nevertheless, yeah. it was then very difficult to get this as a culture. Yeah, it was a very early employee. She got all the DNA of our company. Therefore, she had probably a little bit more than others would. Be. Yeah. Yes. 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 She. She. I guess had grown with the company and had that confidence. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Um, so what, is there an example so far in the history of Umantis then when somebody's taken a decision, it's not gone well, and, and how have you then handled it? Yeah, tons, tons. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, when you, when you make a decision, you make it wrong, but um, how I handled it. Yeah? Um, 
or the company if it's one yeah, from yeah, somewhere no, else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, the beginning, I didn't handle it too consciously, uh, and mm. I didn't have a rule. But I now would say the rule I was then taking already, and now have somehow formulated is. If you make a mistake, it's a mistake, yeah? I'm totally not a fan of fuck-up nights where you clap to those big failures and then people laying on the floor and expecting then that everyone carries them like a star because they made a mistake, yeah? Right. That is not what I think what it should be. If you make a failure, it's a failure point, yeah? It's good to talk about it, to learn from it. But what I then did is someone was failing on a project of a scale of, if you put it in money, let's say 10,000 francs. Right. The next time there was an opportunity, um, I gave this person responsibility of 50,000 to 100,000. Wow. Because that is the return I expect from this learning. Yeah. I invested 10,000 in a learning, then I expect at least a 10x revenue out of it. Yeah. If this doesn't work, then I, I lost 10,000. If it works, then I gained 100,000. Yeah. And if you see this as investment, obviously you cannot mm. invest endlessly. Mm. Yeah, if mm. this person fucks up a second time and a third time, then one day you will have to say, then it's probably not the right person and it should be the company. Yeah. But doing it the first time and even a second time, if this person fights up and gets up and takes over again, then you should give this um, responsibility. And by that, you show that you mean it, that mm. this culture of failure, yeah? not clapping to failure, but accepting that when you take risks, you can make failures. Yeah. And you should not be afraid of it. You should work the hell not to make failures, yeah? but they yeah. happen. Yeah? If you have everything under control, you move too slow. Yeah, and therefore, there are accidents. And mm. The only thing you can um, profit from these accidents is seeing it as an investment. Yeah, I love that idea. Okay, this, this time you're going to get even more money to play with. Um, yeah, you meant yeah, and um, you mentioned um, before that the electing leaders. So it sounds like that's something you started with and now you've moved away from, but yeah, just talk us through, you know, the inception of that, how it worked and and perhaps why you've now moved away. Yeah. Well, long story. And um, the interesting part, I was often asked why we introduced democracy in our company. And the funny thing is I found out also in those discussions that when you look at companies at the very beginning, Small startups, they organize very flat. Yeah? If, if, if a mm. team of two or three co-founders, you discuss the important decisions and then you decide somehow. Most of the time, if you would say it, it's probably a consent process, some, sometimes yeah. even consensus, I don't know, something like that. But you decide certain things together. Then you hire the first employees and you also involve them into important discussions and they can come up and raise things and decide. That means the question is not why we introduced such systems. The question is more why companies on their way of growing lose this. Uh, yeah, because yeah. The, 
the natural state of being is that people will talk together and mm. somehow decide together in whatever way. Yeah. And obviously it has to become more formalized that the bigger companies became. Yeah. Earlier days without all the technology we have, you had to distribute and you had to separate and so on. But nowadays it's a different way. You can you can stay in this system longer than it was possible before. That means we didn't introduce it. And then I will come, yeah, when we did the first formal election. Um, that was when we were, I was um, CEO for 12 years and every year I asked myself, I'm, am I still the right person for doing the job for the next phase of the company? And that's very healthy. I, I, I recommend that to every leader once a year, thinking of what is the job next year, because it's probably not the same job that you had the last hmm. year. And are you still the right person for it? And I always said, I will stay as long CEO as we cannot afford a better CEO. Obviously, there are always better CEOs, but you also have to be able to afford it. And um, then there was a time, just by asking this question, that's important. It's not so important the answer, but the question is important thing because it opens you the eyes. And then there was, um, there were two projects coming into our company on top of the crazy daily business. One was a huge company offer and the other was a huge presentation to an analyst Yeah, that makes the yeah. daily rankings of the software provider. And if you're good, then you get a lot of business. If you're not so good, then you lose those business. And um, I took over one, one of those projects with the analyst and my then successor, I wasn't aware of that back then, was taking over the other project. Yeah. And um, my leadership style was okay, we have to do that on top of the crazy things. I tried to do the most of it, not to put more pressure and more workload on the people. Yeah. And I just ask them to do things that are necessary that I can do it. Yeah. Mm. And um, my colleague and then Cesar went into the team, invited all the people that he needed, and then said, okay. Wow, that's a huge opportunity. We have to win that. And we have to do that and that and that. And he distributed work on top of the workload that people already had. And we were both in the other team. Yeah? Therefore, it was really, uh, it was very close to see it. And at the end of those two projects, I have said, okay, now I have seen the one who can do it better. Yeah? And the results, it's not about the results because we got a very good ranking with the analysts. And yep. we did not win the country. Okay. So, yeah. But the way he integrated the team in doing that, it created so much influence into the organization because people were proud what they were doing. Yeah. Mm. The the analyst ranking was okay, Herman did it and I could help a little bit. But there it was, we did it. We did a lot of great stuff. And then, although we didn't win the customer, there were a lot of positive things going into the company from ideas, innovations, and so on. Yeah. And then I understood, okay, I'm more the pioneer. I'm standing in a jungle. We don't know what way. I say this way, and I go in front and open the way. And at a certain point, you have to do it different. And I've seen, okay, now is the time. He now he knows how to get people fully involved, and he he, he leads in a different way. I cannot do. 
And therefore, I said, now it's the right time to hand this over. And then I was talking to him, if he could imagine. And he said, yes, of course. And uh, but then told him, yeah. And then we were talking about how we do this process of handing over. And then he was he was saying, yes, he wants to do it. And then the question was, how do we do the um, transition process? And um, then I said, well, as everything in our company, we will ask the people for their opinion. That means we will make, for me, it was a, a, a vote and not an election. That means I was standing in front of the team explaining everyone that I think I'm not the right person anymore for leaving the company, that I think Mark, my success, my desired uh, successor, would be the right person out of whatever reasons and explain the reasons. And then Mark had the opportunity to explain what he would do and and also where he thinks he has weaknesses and where, would he, he, where he would think he needs support. And it was always clear at the end, we will do a vote. And this vote, because I thought it's very important, we did anonymous. Most of the votes we did just by raising hands, but there I said it's more important. Therefore, we said, okay, we make a sheet where you can say, I strongly support, I support, I'm okay, I'm against it, I'm strongly against it, and also to write down comments. And then we did this vote. We first did this discussion, then we went out of the room, the people were discussing it, then we came back, we answered some more questions, and then they did the voting, and then had the um, I think over 90% of the people said, I support or even strongly support this. And mm. that's a totally different starting point for him. Eh? Yeah. Because the other way I could stay there and say, hey, I'm the CEO now. I don't want any more. Here is the new CEO. So live with it. And that's what's normally happening. Yeah. And here people were involved in the decision and they then had a totally different approach to it because they were deciding. And if they would have said, no, we don't want, then he wouldn't have been my successor. And therefore he could be Starting totally different. He didn't. He, he didn't have to to explain and show everyone why he was the right choice. Yeah? People were, had chosen him, and we also said, okay, that's now a decision for, I think, for a year or half a year, and then we will do again a vote if it's still good, and we can go forward then. Yeah? And that was our first formal election. Yeah, but before we did a lot of things already that we're not catching that much public attention because electing leaders in a company is obviously something that always draws attention. We were, for example, to decide if we integrate our company into half group. Yeah? Yeah. It was a decision that normally you say it's a question of the shareholders and the board. Yeah? I was the co-founder, I was the CEO, and I was the largest shareholder. I just could have done it. But I involved all the people in the process, all the options, reasons why we at all considering such things and it was a process of probably one and a half years and at the end we had a vote where everyone had one vote that means me as ceo co-founder and shareholder had one vote huh? as much as the intern that just joined three months ago yeah and um that we also did yeah we would say that's also crazy yeah and especially there's much more financial things involved for me than leadership election but we did that because it was our DNA, but here we did the first election and then people have seen it as election. And we, I, I, for me, it was just a vote as anyone, any other vote on an important decision. But then the funny thing happened that probably three months after this election, people from the leadership 
team came and said, I also want to be elected. And we first thought, well, that's crazy, yeah? Because you have this position already. It means if you're elected, you didn't win anything. If you are not elected, you lost your job. Why do you want that? Yeah. Why you would want And But that was somehow this feeling of the people that it gave Mark some credibility, some confirmation. And that's when we started to do this process yearly. But then I, much later on, I realized that the first time how I got CEO was also an election. We were these three co-founders and we didn't discuss who is the CEO. And then we had to do the registry um, for the, the trade registry. Yeah. Then you have to write down who is the CEO. And my colleagues and I looked at into the eyes and then they said, you should be the CEO. That means that was more or less also an yeah. election if you want, but yeah, a more yeah. informal one. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, and yeah, and then we did this election and we were also asking why we then um, disbanded them after a certain time. Well, we, we were growing and it was becoming much more complicated and all the benefits were clear for us. Leaders once a year have to think through the job yeah, mm. and not only think through it, but discuss it with people. That means the, the obvious advantages that we have seen was that... Um, People have to think through their job as a leader because the changes every year. And as I was doing it, these elections were forcing the people to think to, through their job and also explain it to the people, getting feedback and then having the election. That means that was one of the big benefits they have seen. And then the other side, for the people not saying, okay, my boss is just the idiot that leads and he shouldn't, but also taking over responsibility, thinking what this what I do expect from this person, also explaining it and then finding a good way. That was really beneficial for the first several years. And we have seen it really great success. We had a lot of understanding. And also when some people were not elected, that was happening. Yeah. It was preventing the thing that you normally see in organizations when a leader is doing a bad job, perhaps the challenges were growing and usually were not keeping up or personal reality or whatever, for whatever reason, then most of the time what happens is first the performance of the team decreases, then the mood in the team decreases, then the best talents leave the team, and then you exchange the leader. Yeah. And we thought, okay, we have a shortcut. Yeah, Before everything of this happens, we exchange the leader. And yeah. that was also happening. Yeah. It was obviously difficult for people that were not elected to accept it because it's much easier to say, hey, I was not elected because I did the right decisions, but they were unpopular and therefore I was not elected. Like every politician says who loses elections, yeah, instead of looking at their own things. And I have really experienced it firsthand. I've seen people that took unpopular decisions and were elected because of that. And they have and those people that I have seen that were not elected, most of the time it was because of personal difficulties that I would agree were difficult to lead the team. Mm. So I was, I was quite happy. And then as the company was growing and more, we hired more people that were grown up in a different leadership structure. Yeah, they felt yeah. I cannot take any decisions because if I do them, I get not elected anymore, therefore I have to please the people. They felt somehow they 
kept back and they were talking about entry tyranny. But I was quite relaxed there because I said, okay, if you survive the system, then you will understand it. And if you don't survive, then you're not the right person for it. Now, obviously mm. difficult and high fluctuation in, in this area, but that's the way how we function. And therefore I was quite robust against yeah. leaders complaining about the system. But what I then realized, and that was the way that started me getting to think, was when someone in the team had a problem with his boss or her boss, what you normally have to do is you have to solve it. You have to address it. You have to go to the person and saying, hey, we have this issue. Can we solve it? Whatever. And what happened in our company with time, yeah, with the growing of the organization and not having the culture keeping up somehow, was something that we then called pop popcorn culture. Yeah. Okay. They were sitting in the couch saying, okay, you do what you want. I will just vote you out at the end of the year. Before right. I don't have to, I don't have to face the problem. I don't have to solve mm. the problem. Just vote you out then. And then it's solved. That means I, and that was something I said, okay, that's exactly the opposite of what, what we wanted to achieve with it. Yeah? That means people taking responsibility, people having a good conversation about what leadership should be, and then using it in a positive way. Yeah? And then I remember there was once at the discussion of in a conference and someone was saying, well, I like what you're doing, but I think the moment such things are institution institutionalized, and something like a right, mm. it becomes counterproductive. And I didn't understand it. And I asked him afterwards that could not explain it to me or I didn't understand it at the time. But now I somehow understand it, that exactly that the moment it becomes something like a ritual and the culture of the people doesn't keep up with that. Yeah? It becomes difficult because before all the decisions that I was throwing at the team, yeah, was my volunteer decision. I want to have the team involved. Yeah. yeah. We go with half. Yeah. Should this be my successor? There was not yeah. the right of the people to vote on it. It was just the culture. It was okay, yeah. do it this way, but it was not um entitlement yeah and the moment it becomes an entitlement a ritual in the institution i realized those things deteriorate yeah and then we tried several times to fix elections and it became only worse yeah and then we said okay we have to find another way how we can get to the to the result that we want yeah without those elections, because at the end elections, you still elect the leader and the leader is then the, at least the temporary king. Yeah. And that was also something that then Frederick Laloux pointed very much, yeah, well, you elect leaders to lead, but then you don't trust them because you can vote them out and so on. And we even mm -hmm. had introduced referendums and initiatives that out of Switzerland. That means you could even challenge every decision of a leader by taking a referendum. And if enough yeah. people supported it. We had the general vote on a decision. And you could even have initiatives where you said, okay, I want this to happen. And then there was a general vote and then it was. And yeah. And therefore we we became critical. And also another anecdote why why I felt well it's strange. We had such a um 
a fridge in our office. We introduced that because we were moving offices and we didn't have a canteen anymore uh, close by. And therefore, we're then introducing a fridge that we, as the company, subsidized. And we have okay. really healthy, good stuff that you can then rewarm and so on. But we, as company, subsidized and we said we'll make a test to see if people like it. And then we decide if we want to keep it or not. And then, then the leadership or the people responded for it as it was normal that you do those elections or votes. But okay, they, they were done throwing out the information. Okay, now we have to decide if we want to have this bridge for longer. It cost the company a few hundred bucks, yeah? something just as information. Do we want to keep it or not? And then the vote was, I think, 55%, we don't need it, and 45%, we need it. And then obviously, in the logic of democracy, we decided to throw it out. And I was running amok yeah, internally in, in my head. Yeah? I thought, what is going on in this company? Yeah? We were subsidizing massages for people where only probably 5% of the people took it, and we were subsidizing that. And there was something that 45% of the people used and loved. Yeah? And somehow we decided not to have it for a few hundred bucks. Yeah? And I, my, my personally, I was also loving it. Yeah? I brought it in, and then it had to go, obviously, because if you say that's the rule and then we, we voted it, mm. therefore it had to go out. Yeah, if, you, if you keep it, then you have lost everything. Yeah. And therefore it was out again. And then I, there was a lot of those experiences that then brought us to the conclusion, okay, we have to find something else. We tried to fix it. It didn't work. And then we did this employees assembly. And out of that, with input of um, these experts and talking with employees and getting input, we then changed to the advice process and said, okay, that's the way to go. Everyone can be a leader in the, in the topic he or she decides to lead and then uses the advice process and closes wow. the office because of COVID. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and then that makes total sense. And yeah. now you've been through it because intuitively when you hear democratic, you think, oh, that's going to be empowering. And that's, yeah. um, you know, that's going to prove uh, the, the quality of, of the culture and people taking responsibility and so on. But it's fascinating to hear that yeah. it went a different way. Yeah. Um, you know, what a brilliant the story. The interesting point was there was so much, public attention to our leadership elections. We were in TV, in magazines, in, out, in, out. But to be honest, we didn't find a lot of followers copying our model. Yeah. Mm. And therefore, there was the right. It was like we were trying to create a plane that was doing the wings like that, that obviously yeah. didn't fly properly. And um, yeah, therefore, we had to abandon that. But just to say, on occasions, I would still do such things. For example, if I don't want to be, and I would probably never be asked, but if I would be appointed to become CEO of Siemens, for example, yeah. um, I would do exactly that. I would say, hey, guys, <laughs> I have no idea if I can do that, but that I would do. But i tell you something. Yeah? I want to have a vote if I should do it or not. If if you don't vote me in, then I will do it. And that would be an instrument to have a good start and a good conversation. But I would not say I then go for vote every year. Yeah. 
something like that. That means on occasions, I think it is a good thing and therefore it shouldn't be an election, but it should be something like a vote with, as an instrument where you get a discussion going on and a discussion going on because people understand at the end they do the decision. Yeah. yeah. And obviously then they ask, how can you do that? And they can, for such things, they can easily say, well, I can execute that perfectly. Yeah? If people, the majority of people says, yes, I want you as the CEO, then I take it over. And if the majority says no, then I just don't accept the offer. Yeah? Mm. And then it's also executed. But as that, that means for for situation where you take over a responsibility where you think, okay, it's a, it will be a change that you have to bring into and people will have to follow you. Um, and probably it's also a certain risk to take it over and you're not sure if you will be the right person. Then to do such a process, I can recommend. Yeah, but in, you just do it out of your personal desire and your personal wish. And then it's a one-time thing. Yeah. And then As you say, it doesn't become ritualized. It doesn't become yes, an institution. Yeah. Then it becomes a problem with time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not necessarily, but probably we just did it wrong. But at the, mo at, the mo at the moment, you have tried things out several times and it didn't work. It's beyond repair. Yeah. Because then it's uh -huh. burned. Yeah. And then you have to do something different. We've also experienced that with other topics. Yeah. Where we tried things out, it didn't work, and then we just had to stop it. Yeah, yeah, I guess that. And I, well, and if you look at it in the round, in terms of all of these different companies experimenting different things, yeah, yeah we might find that it fails here, but on exactly. aggregate across all the companies, actually, something like this is success, successful. I suppose that's the process yeah. we we're going through, right? Yes, exactly. It'd be, it'd be fascinating to see, see, uh, yeah, exactly. As you said, like which model ends up emerging. If, if, if it's correct that we'll, we'll end up with a relatively uniform model in this new style mm. as we have right now with traditional mm. hierarchies, right? Mm. Um, well, fantastic. I know you've got to jump. I know you've got an important session. So thank you so much, uh, for, you know, spending your time sharing. So honestly, uh, about what's worked and what hasn't. Uh, this has been a fan, you know fantastic conversation, and I, uh, I'm not sure uh, our listeners are going to get a ton from it. Um, Thank you very much. I, I, I also really enjoyed it. It was really a, a great conversation and a really good questions. Thank you very much for that. And allow me a short advertisement. I'm Please. in the moment um, co-founding a school of participation. We want to train the next generation of participation facilitators, because we believe okay. participation is very important in society and also in companies where we were talking about. And there now we know things that work, we know things that don't work. And often things are done unprofessionally, and then it's exactly backfiring and it gets worse than it was before. And we believe if we make it a profession and we have professionalists doing participation processes, this will help the cause and to accelerate also this change to find out what works, what doesn't work, and also that we win the trust that it works. And therefore, we are founding the School of Participation, and whoever is interested in joining, founding this school, learning there, teaching there, is highly, um, highly invited uh, to join us. It's 
schoolofparticipation.com. Minus is between. Right. Schoolofparticipation.com. Um, have a look there. Unfortunately, we're starting in Germany. That means it's German speaking, but I suppose some of our audience will be German speaking. They can join immediately and others can be keep posted till we have then also an English program. Wow. Well, I sound personally sound very interested in that. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll sign up. Um, cool. Perhaps I can be a, 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 an English pioneer. Um, that's, <laughs> fan, that's fantastic. And, uh, and for anybody out there who's interested in the Umantis platform as an aid to transformation, we'll, we'll put a link to uh, Umantis. Uh, any, anywhere else you would send people who, who are interested in what we've discussed today? Um, something that is on the sideline of it, for me, it's always empowering people to do greater stuff. And one big topic of, of course, is environment. I right. think we have a real issue there and we need the power of everyone to find mm. solutions and to accelerate solutions. And therefore I co-founded with my then successor, we are now in a team, co-founded 42 Hacks. And it is about um, co-creating and hacking ideas that accelerate 44, solutions. 42 Hacks, 42 sorry, Hacks. hacks. Yeah. 42 no, no, Hacks, hacks. sorry, my, my English, yeah. Yeah. From Hackathon, 42 yeah. Hacks. And 42, um, who is a little bit geeky, knows it's the answer to everything. Um, and we are, we are bringing together people every Friday from 3 to 5. We do online hacks. We are hacking green mobility. That we are quite successful already. Um, we are hacking green home, green food. And now the newest one is green code. Yeah, because computer programs and server farms are consuming so much energy and even increasing. And there are a lot of computer programs that just are inefficiently programmed. They can right. win a lot of energy savings just by doing better code. That means green code. I love this also very much. And whoever wants to join there every Friday from three to five, it's just two hours, no homework, no preparation needed, just enjoying Hacking a little bit around and this time we always find a team that says, okay, I'm now into it. I want to do it my, as my startup and then your pacemaker team and we organize an ecosystem around to bring those solutions into reality. Brilliant. And that's three to five central European, European time, right? Central European time. Yeah, yeah. excellent. Good. Well, Thank you're you a busy much. man. <laughs> yeah. It's very inspiring to hear everything yeah. you're, you're involved in. Uh, well, this has been awesome. Yeah, I know you've got uh, another meeting to run to. So uh, thanks once again, Herman. Uh, I can't wait to get pleasure, this out there. Yeah, I'm looking forward. Great. All right. Okay. Thanks again. Yeah, have a great evening. Bye-bye. Bye. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.